On this episode of the CEO Activist podcast, I'm joined by Paul Gerard. We're going to be learning from Paul why he believes that the intersection between business and the government have such an important and crucial role to play in today's modern world. Paul, take us back to the beginning and the early days and tell us a little bit about any of the early childhood experiences that informed the role that you're in today. Um, so I'm from a typical working class Lancashire family, uh, strong Catholic, strong Irish roots. Um, very fortunate to have a really close family. If I told my extended family to live within walking distance of where we lived, um, really strong figures in my mother and father and siblings, I'm the youngest of five. Um, and I guess those, my my early years and schooling were shaped by having really powerful people around me, powerful in the sense of helping me be the best that I could be. My mother in particular, my late my mother was a very strong influence. I had great teachers at primary school. Um, and I think I was fortunate to live in a very tight-knit community, very tight-knit. And I think it taught me that, that actually we got on as a community, we prospered as a community, as a Irish Catholic community in Lancashire, because we did things together, because we helped each other. You know, I knew all my friends, school friends, parents. I knew all my school friends' siblings, because they went to school with Irish sisters, siblings, played in the same football team, were in the same scout troop, the same guild club. We're a very tight-knit community. And I guess the biggest lessons Tom me is that if you're part of a community, you can achieve just about anything. I do love the centralization almost of community, the fact that now, having had those early experiences within the community, or the religious community, the local community, family community, that now that in the role that you play to this day. Talk to us a little bit about how the role community plays out in the role. So you do quite a unique role, isn't it? Quite an unusual one in the context of British business. It is. I mean, I mean, the co-op, I mean, lots of businesses will say we are different, like you need against I'm sure it's true. It is constitutionally true to the co-op. The co-op is owned by its members. You can only ever have one vote in a co-op. You can't bind motionless to have more votes and get control. It's a democracy. That's quite unique. Being member of is unique. And I think that heart of corporations, heart of corporation, the Fenwick Williams in the 19th century for the Rochdale Pioneers in 1844, was that essentially you achieve more together than you do on your own. And I think when I look back at my experience as a child and growing up, as a community, we prosper because we use the assets that different members of that community had. You know, while, whatever they may be, but you, I come together, you can move on. And I think <clears throat> because of Copy's member owned, it means that my job is quite different. So most big businesses will have a public affairs direct placement 20 years in government. I know how government works. I know how parliament works, how politics work. I've got lots of great colleagues in all the big businesses who are also public affairs, public affairs professionals, absolutely. The uniqueness for the current though is that we don't only use that voice for issues like business rates or or regulatory burdens. As a co-op, we use our voice with government and with politicians and with parliamentarians on issues that matter to our members. So we have campaigned on issues of slavery survivors. 
We have camp we're campaigning on the issue of climate justice and its impact on global south. We've campaigned on issues like loneliness. And in a sense, having that voice on both um commercial issues, classic public affairs issues like every other public affairs profession in the country, but also being a real campaigner and advocate, someone who puts the views of our four point six million members in front of those who made decisions. That is quite unique. It's quite a privilege. And I think it, it reminds me that the, the other thing I learned as a kid is that he's about one or two and respect. And what I mean by that is you give back to the community that help around you. You know, so as a cooperator, we give back to our members and our members give back to each other. You know, it, it's a reciprocal relationship between members in that cooperative. It's why we are genuinely a unique forward business. You articulate the point around business and government and the importance of both working hand in hand. Obviously, that's one of the reasons you formed CEO Activist Council. And I wonder whether you could talk to us a little bit more about why organisations should care about their counterparts more so these days in the way that you do and the team does at the co-op. So um, um, I would say I'm a, a bit of a political need. So I find it all really interesting. What I would do, I'll observe I think over the last few years, particularly during the pandemic, businesses suddenly realised in very short order that government through parliament can affect their business in a quite fundamental way. All businesses knew that, but it tended to play out in longer time. During the COVID pandemic and the lockdowns, it actually happened in days. Businesses were prevented from trade, and therefore the the, the impact business governments through parliament have on businesses is quite palpable. And I think that has made businesses think more widely. Let's we'll start a lockdown. What are the other businesses, the other relationships they have with government? I think what businesses sometimes fail to realise, I was a civil servant since so twenty years, is that the expertise and knowledge, the insight that businesses have is unique and government love to have access to that, help share policy and that policy will impact how businesses can go about their activities. You know, if, if I look at, you know, if you get 25 CEOs in a room, each with 20 years experience, each running businesses at five, 10 million pounds a year, you can do the last. You've suddenly got hundreds of years of experience at the top end of business, running with hundreds of billions of pounds of revenue and hundreds of thousands of, of colleagues. If you don't get expertise from that, and if you can't draw it out, civil servants shouldn't be civil servants, politicians shouldn't be politicians. So I think, I guess I guess the thing that slightly frustrates me is, is sometimes businesses don't realise how they can help government make better policy, both for them as a business but also for the people that they serve, for the court, for our, for our members. So when you talk about that amount of knowledge, you talk about that amount of people, but also the amount of money going into the economy, the fact that government and businesses can be shaping decisions, impact the future generations, especially given times of turbulence, the economic environment, that being through things like COVID and the like. It is so, so fundamentally important that we galvanise these organisations and businesses against the storms that are ahead in order to protect the livelihoods of the communities, as, 
as you mentioned, I've already started out. And look, you don't, if you want to go somewhere worthwhile, you go with other people. You just want to go somewhere quick, you go by, by, by yourself. And I think, again, I'll come back to my own opinion, but also the idea of cooperation. You'll get a better result if you cooperate. Now, businesses are successful by being competitive. That's how you succeed in the business. But there's some things you need to cooperate and there's some things that you need to share. And I think some of our experiences in the co-op, particularly around our campaigns, where we have sought to bring together businesses. If I think about the campaign we ran on short work environments, in the end, the last open letter that we wrote to the Prime Minister and the government did act on this, they changed the law. We had only two retail CEOs sign that. Now, getting one from the co-op, fine. Suddenly did 102 sign. Suddenly the government going, hang on a second, this is important. So I just think working together on those things where you need a common answer. I think for those things that were there is a shared outcome, Absolutely. You know, that doesn't mean you're not competitive. And, you know, if I look at the co-ops in the 18-year history, there was a point in, in the past where we were the biggest food business in the country and the biggest food business has ever been in, the, in this country. And we did that because we were really a good business, competitive business. We are still a co-op and we're aiming to be a successful cooperative business in the future. That means being competitive for our members, providing value for our members. But also, where we, where we need to find a leadership and working with, with others. You talk a lot about some of the early influences in your life, in the community, and how collaboration has really shaped the leader that you are today. You're all, like, also famous for having a stutter, which I absolutely love. Um, I think it's endearing, and I think it's also something that is very unique to you. Talk to us about how difference in diversity helps to drive success i mean i, I, I do have a stammer um my i know better was my family have a stammer I'm not, i wouldn't say it's anything that's held me back i think it hasn't held me back for a couple of reasons um one is my mum have a stammer and she refused to let it hold me back i remember very distinctly the first time i spoke in public which was in saint joseph's roman catholic church in anderton and I was doing the first reading between St. Paul, I want to say to the treaties where I'm wrong, but it's that I have four look fly, I have a little dress. And I was quite nervous, I was eight. And my mum said, really simple, Paul, you prepare for it. You then pick a point in, in, in the church and then you shout for this word. Huh? Great. So, so I went in, I stand up to do the reading. Every person I know in the world is in that church. <laughs> Uh, including the felt with Charles the Bat with the tango from from Shane from from Saturday night. So I think that's so focus on the moment sang the lecture. And I shout the first word. So tomorrow I realised that I was light up. So when I shouted the first word, it deafened the whole church. But I got really got attention. I guess my point is what my mum taught me was that if you work hard enough, things don't hold, hold don't have to hold you back. That's the first point. The second point no, was more about love, which was a role model didn't hold her back. Uh, it didn't stop her doing what she 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 wanted what wanted to do. So why would it stop me? And I think what I've done is um, probably can't go into the worst job for someone with a stammer. Could do lots of public public speaking. My job is to persuade people by talk, talking to them. It's not great if you have a stammer, but in a sense, the more I prepare, the more the harder I work, the more I think through. 
the last the, the last last time. So um, I also think that it the more the the, the experience I've had, you know, there's been some times where it's been a bit crap, and there's been some times where it's been quite hard, and people have picked up on the fact that Stanley in in a very constructive way. They are giving a set of experiences, which as a member of leadership team, you can bring to that, and you can bring to the to the sense that some people might not want to speak for different reasons. They might be cultural, they might be because they have a disability and stand, or whatever it may be. And you just got to make sure you create an environment that allows them. Because if you do, you get, I'm not saying me, but you get the best, you get the best out of the people in, in that room and the best talent in, in that room. So whether it's 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 a disability like a stand or it's your gender or it's your ethnicity or it's your sexuality, it doesn't really matter. Can you create environments where all those people can be as good as they, they can be? That problem is really successful. I love that story about it. I think it's just fantastic. Um, I don't mind picking up on a small piece that you mentioned there, which was sometimes people have maybe been um, not particularly constructive. And mm. as leaders, I think one of the challenging pieces is that you're putting your head above the parapet, you're always going to have those moments where um, people want to throw stuff at you or you're dealing with. Um, in a challenging or questions and queries, and we're always going to get how how do you find your way when coming up against challenges, or how have you got through points in your career where not everyone has agreed with the line of dissuasion you put forward? I think it's a point about resilience. So, um, uh, you've got to, you've got to accept that sometimes not everyone will agree with you, not everyone will like what what you're doing. So there's a resilience point. Um, I think there's also a point about um, honesty with yourself. And it says, you might think something is right, and you genuinely believe that. Maybe you're coming up against people saying no. You've got to understand why they're saying no. And it may be that you think they're wrong to say no, or you may be thinking it's vested interest, or you may be thinking trying to protect them. And there's negative reasons for that. But understanding them allows you then either to say, no, I'm right, or say, you know what, I probably exchange a bit as well. And I think um, there was a time, I think it's changing now, where leaders couldn't say, I got that one wrong. Because you say, I've got that one wrong, it means you're weak, it means you're sexual. I still think, I think, of course it does. Um, but I think the willingness to be open and say, perhaps there's a different way to the way I'm doing it myself. You know, I, I, I led, six years, seven years, I led 10,000 people in the civil service, you do the touch points and child, blah, 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 blah. 10,000 phenomenal civil servants. Um, and there were times they didn't agree. Um, I used to meet 600, 700 a month, um, every month. And there's times they didn't agree. That There's times it got a bit fast. That's all right. That's all right. As long as there's still a, res- there's a respect there and there's a constructiveness. Fast is good because fast means someone gives a toss. And, that, and that's a great that's that. The worst place is where no one cares. And many people are re- it's a very good point because I think often in British culture, we have this almost allergic reaction to wanting to be disagreeable. Yet at the same time, we talk a lot about diversity, we talk about the innovation of thought that brings about. And ultimately, the correlation that has then to um, you know, productivity and uh, you know to, to positive profits and things like this. But actually, having that. Uh, that disagreement or having disagreements in the boardroom. I'm sure many of us can think about those times where we're all trying to put our point forward 
and um, the cross boardroom table, but actually those different sets of opinions are what we require because otherwise everyone is, is a yes person. And like you say, there's a passion and desire in the outcome per se. I, th- I think one of the <clears throat> worst forms, one of the worst things in an organisation is that groupthink. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks the same thing. I mean, you know, you need voices in the room, so I don't agree with that. And I can think of times in my, in my career where there's been someone who hasn't agreed with it. I think creating the right environment so they can say that mm. is really important. Um, and having the opportunity for them to make the case is really important. It doesn't mean you do what they say, or the group isn't, but the group has challenges. Think, well, are we right? I think if you don't have those voices, you get into an ever smaller echo to check where you're just hearing people who agree with you. It's one, it's one of the worst things about some forms of social media, they're just echo to chairs. And that doesn't really help. I, I read a wide variety of newspapers. Some I agree with, some I don't. But I read them all because I want to know different people's points of view because that's what diversity of thought means. I don't agree with some of them. I've never agreed with some of them. I never will agree with them. But I want to know why they think like that. I want to know what what it is they think will happen. And then I can make memory all that up. You've got to be open to information facts because when facts change, you. So, facts, figures, hearts, and lines, all of these things culminated are what is required to move the needle in the right direction. Well, I wonder if you could talk to us about what you believe business leaders, but also perhaps politicians, can do when it comes to putting the S in, in ESG, as we like to say. I think I think um, I was on a panel a few weeks ago about social mobility, uh, and it was interesting listening to some of the professional services organisations that you can see Kate in, who I think have done some phenomenal work over, over the last fifty years in in a, in a sector that's traditionally very graduate. The pathways in, in those organisations tend to be very graduate. I think Kate and GP do some amazing stuff. What's been at the heart of all of it for them is understanding the data, yeah. because unless you understand the data in an objective way, then one of the plans you build on that are going to change with with the wind. I, in government, I saw lots of policies developed based on what politicians thought rather than what the data said. Mm-hmm. All that means is that they just swing, swing with the wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I, think, I think the first thing that, you know, businesses have got to do is really understand the data that's looking at them, understand what it means and what it doesn't. Uh, I think if you do if you do that, then you're going to build better policies. You know, I, I spent a long time in college and civil service and deep You've got to have your data. You've got to have your understanding, your insight. Then you can decide what thing you're going to tackle, rather than what thing you think you tackle. I know lots of people, myself included, will be overwhelmingly pleased um, that you have been talking about how great data analytics facts and figures are. And this one is one of the issues that you alluded to before is this world of media today is understanding all different arguments or, or or headlines from different points of view is key because so much emphasis is based on points of view. And unfortunately, as we've seen um, in, in certain political contexts, that that's not great for uh, society. Um, just having um, opinions frame the facts of bigot truly having the data and the research uh, with which to make informed decisions is key. Which 
areas um, do you think businesses could be looking at specifically when it comes to managing and measuring data and facts and figures? I think I think what the last few years has shown us is, uh, I will get to the questions sort of framing. I think, I think the last few years have shown us the structural inequalities in this career that may be to do with ethnicity, may be to do with gender, may be to do with geography. Really? Um, if you look at the life expectancies for young people in um, certain communities and geographies, they are different than others, and that, and that can't be right, And um, I think what businesses should be thinking about, because this is where I think we can play a hugely important part, is in tackling those structural inequalities. We heard it only in the last few years since the 2019 election of levelling up. Not in this political phrase. Before it was levelling up, it was structural inequalities. Um, it was about geography. So, you know, levelling up as a concept isn't a new concept, it's a new phrase. And I think what businesses should be thinking about is that they are often the anchor institutions in community, be they big businesses or small, small businesses. And I think what role do they play in those communities so that they are investing in those communities, not extracting from them. So I think there's a role for businesses to play to think about how they support communities to prosper. Um, I think too many businesses will often just see communities and geographies as places to extract profit from. That's of course absolutely right for a business. I'm not disagreeing with that. What I'm disagreeing with is that the way you do that Means that you can also invest in communities. You know, I, you know, I would say the co-op do do this well, absolutely. Yeah. Think about other other businesses that do some amazing stuff in, in communities. I think businesses need to recognise their roles as anchor institution communities. Number one, number two, government need to work out that actually the answer won't always come from Whitehall or Westminster. I, I spent twenty years as the man in Whitehall. Um, the man or woman in Whitehall is not going to fix this on their own. There was a lot to be praised in the level of paper that the government a couple of years ago. One bit I was really disappointed by is that it didn't envisage any real sense a partnership between government, local or, or central, the third sector and business. If you want to help communities prosper, and businesses have got a critical role to play in that, alongside governments, alongside civic sites. I think that's something that government need to recognise a lot more than they do. I think businesses need to recognise that that's a role they can. And I would argue should play if they are serious about ESG. Otherwise, it's just another set of flashes that don't change to a good return. Paul, every time we speak, and I really mean this, every single time I speak, I learn something new. Um, it has been an absolute joy speaking with you. I've learned a lot. I know that many people, well, um, I've already aligned here um, twice um, how important it is that there is a two-way street between business and the community. This is not about extrapolation. This is about reciprocation. Um, and additionally, the key role that business and the government have to pay, play in the economic growth prosperity of our future nation. And ultimately... Um, the future generation to come, who are so very influenced, rightly so, by the impact that social aspects and diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity, culture has on their lives and the part they want it to play in the work that they do, because that truly uh, has meaning. 
for for them and certainly for for other authentic leaders like yourself. And before we part ways, Paul, are there any game changers or any final parting thoughts that you have that you'd like to share with the audience? Well, I'm happy to share thoughts about the game changers or as could judge this. Um, I guess the thing for me is I think what would be really is if there was genuine dialogue and collaboration between the most senior business leaders in this country and the most senior decision makers in this country, often <clears throat> That happens. It happens now. When it does work, it works really well. And we saw during the pandemic, I think, that at its best. My worry is that when well, we're not in a national emergency, however it was, that begins to fade away. And I think the real game change of this country is where there's a genuine partnership between private enterprise, government, and civil society. So you put those three to get together, and then you can make real change. And I've seen, you know, with the Pope's done, you know, some of the work on slavery, we've brought together government, charities, and businesses. You can transform lives. And I think it's that triangle that when we're at our best in this country, we achieve great things. But it has to be something that's the default, not the exception when we're faced with an emergency. Fantastic. So businesses can do well by doing good, and we must continue to keep our uh, foot on the gas and keep the momentum up because this is a constant evolution. Thank you so much, Paul. Pleasure.